Okay. Well, to everybody out there listening, welcome to the Philippi Conversations podcast. Yeah. And uh, thanks for sharing some time with us. I uh, appreciate that. By the way, if you are clicking on this video and you're about to navigate away because you're like, I don't have an hour to listen or watch this, uh, but I'd love to listen while I'm driving, we have this on audio on our actual podcast. So if you go to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and you just search Philippi Church Conversations podcast, uh, this will come up and you can listen to it while you're driving. Uh, or if you want to sit and just watch Zav and I faces for the next hour that's cool too it's, it's a it's an interesting choice if you choose that but whatever you know I we mean, don't I judge wouldn't, i wouldn't do it but <laughs> um anyways so super glad you're here uh we do this podcast because we believe the gospel transformed lives mm. we believe that a conversation about the gospel can become a vehicle for life change yeah and so that's why we do this and uh really it's just an opportunity to sit down and discuss the gospel and uh that's what we're going to do this morning so uh this Today, I have my friend Xavier Brosser. Zav, hello. Let me introduce him really quick. Zav and I go way back. Um, we used to work together at a church in this area, and we used to do radio stuff together. Yeah, so it's trippy being here on a mic with you with headphones, it's dude. Funny. Like, yeah. It's really a throwback. Except we were like 20 years old and barely a little bit less mature. Hopefully, we've matured a little bit. And making 300 <clears throat> bucks a month. I think it was a year. Did you get 300 bucks a month? Yeah, I got 300 bucks a month, dude. It's pretty legit. I got 300 bucks a year. No. Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, so those were good times. Zab and I go way back. We've stayed connected. Um, we worked at a church together, and then we went separate ways. Zab worked at a church up in Eugene, Ecclesia, Ecclesia yeah. for a while. I worked at Heritage for a while. And then we both ended up becoming church planners. Which in is the Rogue Valley. In the Rogue Valley. We're kind of north and south pole. So, yep. so Zab is south pole. Ashland, I'm north pole. Grants Pass. Yep. And we are both in the middle of just planting churches, but you did yours four years ago. Yeah, we just had our four-year birthday, uh, October of 2021, so we're just passing the four-year mark. Crazy. So yep. you're potty trained now. Yeah, a little uh, bit. I mean, still some diapers every yeah, now and then. Yeah, we're you know. two, so we're still full-on diapers. Yeah, um, church diapers. Yeah, can, you know, we can't barely walk. Um, so yeah, we're two, you're four, but either way, we connect quite often because we're both planting churches and we're friends. And, yeah. and so I thought it'd be cool to have Zav on the podcast, and we kind of talked about what what, what would be an interesting topic and the topic we're going to discuss is gospel contextualization mm -hmm. and if you're like what is that hopefully you'll know by the end of this <laughs> podcast what that is yeah uh, in essence gospel contextualization um, is I'm just going to put it in really really short words speaking the gospel in the language of culture mm -hmm. um, and we can kick that around and maybe maybe get a little more nuance a little more of a fine point on that but but yeah speaking the gospel in the language of the culture and I thought Zab would be an interesting guest because Ashland is where you planted your church. And yeah. Ashland could not be more different from Grants Pass. Yeah, right? you would have no idea they're only like 30 miles apart, dude. Yeah. It's like a whole different world. Exactly. And <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm interested to hear as we get into the conversation, like what does it look like to speak the gospel in the language of the culture in Ashland? Yeah. Um, and then also how different is that from Grants Pass? What does yeah. it look like to speak the gospel in Grants Pass? And so, yeah, I'm just excited. I think it'll be a good conversation. Yeah. So hopefully you guys will stick around and, 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 and tune in. I want to start off, um, first of all, introducing Zav. So Zav is the pastor of the story, mm -hmm. husband to your wife, Lisa. Yeah. You guys have two kids. Yep. Bear and Maverick. Bear and Maverick, which Three is Three and a half cool. and almost two. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Church planner, founding pastor of the church, and God is good. So excited to have you here. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks, thanks man. Here. It's really cool. All right. Let's dive right into this material. Uh, I want to start by defining the terms. Uh-huh. What is gospel contextualization? That's kind of a big word. Uh -huh. um, that word probably.
probably needs some contextualization, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that's So, good. Zab, I'm going to kick that to you, and I'm going to let you maybe just just give us some some uh, some substance. What does it mean to contextualize? And let me throw three questions at you, and I'll just let you run. What is it? Why is it important? And is it even biblical? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, um, gospel contextualization is like you kind of alluded to, it's reading the culture that you're in. It's understanding where people are at um, in regards to what they think about Jesus, what they think about God, what they think about the Bible, all those types of things. And then bringing the message to those people where they're at, because as you know, um, times change, you know, we're not, we're not living in 1910. We're not living in 1950. We're not even living in 2000. We're in 2022. And so as culture changes, the way that we bring the gospel to people has to change as well. The message itself, let me be very clear, does not change. We never change the gospel itself, but the way in which we present it to people in a different cultural context has to change. And this is an extremely biblical idea. Um, The the most uh, clear reference to this in scripture is Paul the Apostle, um, as I was thinking about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, Here's what he said, which is really beautiful. This is an awesome picture of how Paul the Apostle contextualized the gospel uh, in, in various contexts. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So Paul's goal in contextualizing the gospel is, I want to win more people to Jesus. I want them to come to know Jesus. So he says, To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And then this is the huge statement he makes here. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul was um, a master of this. You know, Paul had influence in so many different regions and areas and territories. And he said, when I go into a different region, I, I need to contextualize the gospel. I'm still still bringing the same message. But he says, to the Jews, I become a Jew. You know, when, when Paul was sitting down ministering to Jews, trying to show them Jesus actually is the Messiah, there were certain things that he wouldn't do with the Jews that maybe he would in real life. He probably wasn't having and bacon with the Jews because for them, you know, that was a stumbling block. And so everywhere Paul went, he read the group of people, he read the culture and he made himself as one of those people so that he could relate to them and so that he could have an open door to share the gospel with them. So when we're talking about gospel contextualization, we just simply mean reading the culture, where are people at? What are, Mm -hmm. what, what are the things that people already have preconceived notions about God and the gospel and all that and meeting those people where they're at. And so I'd say it's an extremely biblical idea. And I think that um, the the importance of it is that we might win some. If we don't understand where people are coming from, um, we won't have an open ear for them to, they won't have an open ear to even want to have a conversation with us if we can't read and speak the language of our current culture. So I think it's really important. It is super important. Yeah, I appreciate that that definition. I think that's helpful. And it it is really biblical. Um, I think one of the arguments against the idea of contextualization is like, well, that's not really a biblical idea. That's just a cultural idea. Uh Uh, 
but it really is biblical. Um, so first Corinthians nine, yeah, is super solid. I also was just thinking about Paul and the way that he ministered the gospel, um, in the book of acts, uh-huh. he had a different approach, same gospel, yep. different approach on say Mars Hill, which mm-hmm. is Athens, right? So we're talking Gentiles. We're talking like the, the place of ideals in a polytheistic society. Yeah where they worship multiple gods. Um, he had a different approach um, to the gospel there, and I think that's Acts 17, I want to say, yep. than he did, say, in, uh, in um, the Jewish synagogues, which is where he usually would start doing ministry. Yeah. So I think it's it's biblical in that way. I think Jesus himself, actually, you can make a case, interacted differently with, say, the Jewish leadership oh, yeah. than he did Pilate. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I did a sermon recently on um, how Jesus interacted with Pilate. And it's fascinating. I would encourage you to, you know, if you're listening to go read that and notice like he takes a totally different approach. Yeah. Um, doesn't change the message, but he recognizes that here's Pilate. He doesn't, he doesn't presuppose the Jewish God. Yeah. He doesn't presuppose Yahweh is the, is the, the God of the universe or the, that the Jewish scriptures are authoritative. He doesn't presuppose any of that. Yeah. Pilate, Pilate was, he was a pagan. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he was a Gentile. Uh, and then lastly, I think I think we think about the incarnation, mm. which is uh, theological speak for God becoming man and, and taking on human flesh. That's uh, contextualization. That's contextualization. Yeah. God, who is transcendent from us, um, comes and becomes part of us. Yeah. And really, uh, John the Apostle called him basically the language of God, yeah. the, the Logos, the Word. God speaks through the person of Jesus and contextualizes himself and embodies all of the attributes of God the Father in a, in, in the ultimate relatable uh, language, which is a human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so really, Jesus, I think, himself, even his arrival, uh, God with us, Emmanuel, is contextualization. All of these things, I think, you know, make a biblical case. I wanted to read a quote that I... I thought was good by Tim Keller and Keller's really, he's, he's fantastic at contextualization. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons he has such a uh, profound ministry to, to the lost in Manhattan. Um, you know, a place that's very probably in some ways, similar to Ashland is very progressive. Very yeah. liberal. He says this, he says, contextualization is not as often argued, giving people what they want to hear. Rather it's giving people the Bible's answers, which they may not at all want to hear, to questions about life that people in their particular time and place are asking in mm. language and forms they can comprehend and through appeals and arguments with force they can feel even if they reject them. Mm. So to synthesize that down, it's not, Hey, I'm going to give you what you want to hear. Uh, it's, I'm going to tell you what you don't want to hear, but I'm going to do it in such a way that's answering the question that I know you're actually asking mm-hmm. and cultures asking questions, Yeah, right? They're asking questions. It's our job as Christians, not just as pastors, as Christians, it's our job to go, what are the questions that culture is asking and how does the gospel answer those questions. Yeah. I thought it was helpful. I love that mention of just the way Jesus contextualized as well. When he was on trial at first before the religious leaders, they asked him, you know, are you the Christ? Are you the son of God? And he very clearly said, I am, mm-hmm. which for them, they would have understood that was a allusion to the old Testament as well, mm-hmm. where God appeared to Moses and Moses was like, who should I say sent you? And he said, tell him I am that I am. So Jesus very clearly contextualized the gospel to them and saying, you know who I am was because you know the old Testament. And mm-hmm. so, that was a very clear answer. Whereas with Pilate, when Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, 
you said so, you know, it's right. as you said. So that's right. again, Jesus contextualizing the gospel, making it understandable to two completely different groups of people. The religious leaders who had an understanding of the Old Testament, right. Jesus used that to his advantage. Whereas Pilate, who had no idea, he just said, you just said it, you know? So yeah. I think it's really cool how Jesus modeled that as well. Totally. Yeah. And just to break this down practically for a minute, like here's an example I think of when I think about contextualization. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a, there's a particular, um, method out there for evangelism, which I have no problems with. It's called Uh the way of the master. You heard of this, the way Mm. of the master. So, so the whole concept is like you go out on the streets, you find some, some poor victim and you go, Hey, can I ask you some questions? You know, have you ever, you basically show them that they're a sinner by asking them questions about whether they've broken God's law. Uh And once you lead them to a point where they see that they're a sinner, then you introduce the gospel. And I think that can work, yeah. but I don't think it's always good contextualization because what you're doing in that moment is you're presupposing that the person you're talking to gives a rip about yep. what the Bible says yep. or what sin is supposedly according to God's word yep. or that they've offended some God that they don't even believe in. Yeah. So maybe 20 years ago when most people in America presuppose the authority of scripture or the validity of, of God and his word, you, you know, you're going to bump into somebody now that's like, I don't care what the Ten Commandments say. Yeah. That's some old dusty book that has no relevance in my life. 100%. So that method is not a one size fits all, right? Yep. Um, now, if you bump into somebody that grew up in the church and they're like, yeah, I know God's real. Yeah, I know his words. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I think I'm going to be good with God. And then you lead them to see that they're a sinner. Yeah, that might be a helpful approach. Contextualization, I think, takes the person into account, listens first and goes, what are the things... What, what it, where are they at? What are yep. their belief systems? What's upstream from their thinking? And then how, how do I punch into that with the gospel in a relevant way, like a, a surgeon with a scalpel yep. who's actually like trying to get the cancer rather than just hacking at the patient? Yeah. You know, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And that's, that's why I gripe a little bit against people that stand on a corner with a megaphone. Yeah. You know, and maybe what they're saying is is true from a biblical standpoint. And yes, we should call people to repentance, but they're assuming that everybody driving by in their car needs to hear the same thing in the same way. Yeah. And there's no contextualization there. Whereas I think my approach would be like, hey, you know, why don't you sit down with somebody yep. and actually hear what they think before you start yelling at them and telling them something that maybe they're not even going to understand. Yeah, that's really good. Really good. Yeah. We... So let me, let me ask another question. So yeah. what might it look like when we get the definition or approach to gospel contextualization wrong? Mm-hmm. So we've talked about like, here's what it looks like to do it. Maybe right. Uh, what, what are some examples um, of when you, when you say, well, I'm contextualizing, but really you're actually doing harm to the gospel in your words, you're changing the message. Uh, what are some examples that you can think of what that, that might look like? Yeah. I mean, getting it wrong for sure is changing the gospel. Like, like you alluded to a second ago, there's certain methods that aren't necessarily wrong. Like the dude on the corner with the megaphone, but like probably isn't going to be the most effective getting mm-hmm. it wrong is when we see like, Oh, the culture doesn't, Uh, believe in the Bible and believe that it's authoritative. So let's contextualize to them and let's turn away from the authority of the scriptures, you know, or culture with this new sexual ethic and things like that. Let's, let's just, um, let's just celebrate that as well and be okay with that. Um, And that's not what Paul was doing when he says to the Jew, I become a Jew um, to the Greek and the Gentile become a Greek and a Gentile. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause that's changing the message. That's changing the word. And so we get it wrong 
uh, quite frankly, when we when we turn away from the scriptures themselves, because the scripture is the full revelation of God. And so if we're saying culture is straying away from that, therefore to reach them, we need to just come and find some different approach and try to just relate to them 100% on their level. Um, we lose the power of the gospel because it's yeah. the word, it's the message that's the power of God. It's the mm-hmm. gospel that has the power to save. And so whenever we stray from the gospel itself for the sake of contextualization, that's where we've crossed a line where I think we're not contextual in a biblical manner. And, um, I'd say placing ourselves in a dangerous spot, you know? Yeah, Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I think where we go wrong is we try to soften the edges a little bit, you know, and and it's kind of almost like, it's almost like trying to trick somebody. Yeah. Like, Hey, maybe if I can, like, uh, the Mormons will do this, right? Like they come to your door, like they're not going to tell you all the weird stuff. Like they're not going to tell you about the holy underwear. They're not going to tell you about the book of Mormon and, and you know, what Brigham Young did or, you know, they're not going to bring all that up. They just want like, Hey, we're just about families and community. And you're like, Oh, cool. And I think sometimes we can trick people by like, well, I'm going to save all the hard things for later. I'm just going to tell you, Hey, God's just nice. And he loves you. And and he accepts you like pray this prayer, you know? And and I don't think that's contextualization. Mm. I think if you soften the bad news, um, then you actually lose the gospel. Wow. That's Uh, good. I heard someone say the other day and I thought it was good that we live in a therapeutic culture. Mm -hmm. And that means that people, um, they really like to talk about their problems, but they don't like to think that they're their problems. They Mm. like to think that they were, um, that they're victims. We really live in a victim culture. Yeah. And so a lot of times people will play to that. They'll go, yeah, you know, like you're, you're just a victim to uh, oppression. And we use a lot of words like trauma and injustice and broken systems and all Mm. this kind of stuff. And Christianity will pander to that and go like, yeah, you're just, you're just a victim and and Jesus Mm. loves you and and he wants to help you as a victim. Now, certainly we all are victims of sin to some degree, Yeah, but the gospel actually says you're not the victim, you're the perpetrator. Yeah. You have sin that needs to be paid for. Mm-hmm. And there's this, there's this paradig- paradigmatic um, approach to the atonement uh, that is so, um, it's so wrong. And so often it, it's pandering to wrong. It's a wrong view of contextualization. That is to say that the cross isn't an angry, wrathful God pouring out justice on his son in place of you. Mm. That's not culturally palatable. Let's throw that in the garbage and let's change it in for nice, squishy, kind God that just forgives sins because he feels like it. Yeah. And Jesus is really just paying, Jesus is just defeating Satan. Yeah. And what that does is it makes you the victim of Satan and Jesus, the hero. Um, but there's really no, I need to repent of my sin because I stand before a holy and righteous God yeah. who has, who has um, really poured that wrath out. So, so that's an example I think of, of when you go, you know what, this idea of God being angry and this idea of Jesus taking God's anger and this idea of you having sin that needs to be repented of and paid for, mm. ah, that's just culturally like not acceptable. It's not and politically it's not, correct. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not. What's more culturally acceptable is you're a victim you need therapy. You're loved. God's squishy. God's mm. kind. He loves you. He's crazy about you no matter what you do, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. No call to repentance, no call to change. And that actually loses the power of the gospel because the power of the gospel is that you've been forgiven. That, yeah. That justice has been served because God is both just and the justifier. Yeah. That he has remained righteous, poured out his wrath and eliminated sin, not just forgotten it. Yeah. Uh, so for me, that was the first example I thought of. And I think about guys like Rob Bell, mm. you know, who have attempted so hard to relate with culture that they've deconstructed all the way apart from the gospel. Yeah. Like, you know what? Hell's just a little too, a little too hard, hardcore. Yeah. So let's just get rid of it. Yeah. That's not contextualization. That's apostasy. Right? Yeah. And this is the biggest problem. Um, and the biggest threat as we, we were sitting together in Rick Boyes class that he said, the biggest threat in, 
you know, Western, you know, Christianity is the authority of the scriptures. And this is what's being challenged in the progressive Christian movement. You know, um, it's this new brand of Christianity mm -hmm. um, that's progressive and that's contextualizing in a non-biblical way and saying, you know what, this is where culture's at. Culture has these new norms and these mm -hmm. new sexual ethics and all this stuff. And so we can accept that, but it's again, always a straying from the word. And right. what that, that's the power of the gospel. It's in the word. And, um, one other thing too, as you, you were saying um, earlier, I wanted to touch on just real quick is for churches to not sell themselves short on just speaking the truth. I think people appreciate that when somebody comes into a church and you, you don't want to have the conversation about what you really believe about some of these touchy subjects because it's not politically correct. Somebody could be sitting in your church for a year thinking like, oh, they're cool with this lifestyle or they're cool with this behavior and like Jesus is cool with it and the leadership supports it. And then a year or two years in, you give a teaching on it and they're like, whoa, like I've been here, you know, a few years and thought Jesus was cool with this and now you're going to bring this up. Mm -hmm. So one thing I think we can do to help reach people is just have healthy communication up front. If you know somebody struggling with a certain idea in the scriptures or a personal moral issue or something like that. I think people actually appreciate um, the, the upfront conversation and just having the integrity to say, Hey, this is what the word says. And this is what we believe yeah. rather than just kind of, you know, the whole, Oh, just Jesus loves everybody type of thing. Does right. Jesus love us? Yeah, absolutely. Christ loves us in that while we were sinners, he came and died for us. But to, to never go into the murky waters because it's not politically correct actually right. robs people of the opportunity of letting the gospel be the power of the gospel in yeah. their lives. And yeah. so that's something I've tried to work really hard at. And sometimes it's awkward and sometimes it's hard to have yeah. those conversations with people that, you know, like, Hey, this is something they're wrestling with, but that's our job as people proclaiming the gospel is to speak the truth. And so yeah. it's really important to do that. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of times I think contextualization looks just like, asking good questions of the language you're using. Yeah. You know, there are words, um, there are words that I used five years ago that I won't use now. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, the, the, like for instance, um, one of the words I try not to use as much is justice. Yep. Which sucks because it's a biblical word. Yeah. But it's been commandeered by the liberal left. Yeah. To mean a lot of things other than justice. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to, I mean, they're calling abortion, the genocide on the unborn. They're calling that social justice. Yeah. And, uh, and so if you use the word justice, people go, oh, wait, are you, you know, where are you at? You know? Exactly. Uh, and so I've kind of had to think about that word a little bit. Mm. Um, some people, I think, take that a little far and they jettison words like sin. They jettison words, you know, and I don't think we should necessarily jettison biblical language, but I do think we need to give it, um, we need to contextualize it. We yeah. need to say like, you know, if I say the word sin to somebody walking down the street who has never really been in church, doesn't have a biblical framework uh, or a theological foundation, and I say the word sin, what do they think I mean? Yeah. You know, and, and, do, and, and am I willing to give clarity about what I mean? Yeah, we have to define them now. That's really important. Like growing up in church, you would hear, you know, just in a teaching, somebody talk about sin or sanctification or justice or whatever. And it's really important now in our culture to define what we mean by that because yeah. culture has hijacked a lot of these biblical totally. ideas and now they have a completely different meaning. So, so when you say something, you know the biblical meaning, but the audience doesn't necessarily know yeah. that. And so it's important as we're going through the scriptures, communicating mm -hmm. these ideas to take the time, the, the, the extra couple minutes to explain to art and say, this is what I mean when I say yeah. this. Yeah. Otherwise people just get triggered and think you're yeah. like some crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of crazy. And we live in a world now where everybody's wound. 
on yeah. both sides. Like everybody's just ready to spring on you. you yeah. Know? What did you mean by that? You know, what are you like? And, and now we live in a world where everybody's listening yeah. online, you know, and, uh, and it can be, <laughs> it can be really hard, Yeah. you know, but we have to think through these things. And, and I'm, and I'm not, you know, this podcast is not meant to be for pastors. It's meant to be for everybody. And all of us live in this. We all swim in the same culture now. Yeah. And one of the things, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because this particular episode is because the world is changing so fast. Oh yeah. It's crazy. And if we don't keep up on what's going on in the world and we just keep, you know, doing what we did 50 years ago, uh, again, same message, mm-hmm. same gospel. Uh, but if we keep presenting it in the same words, using the same analogies, using the same spiel that we memorized 30 years ago, it very well will not connect in the same way. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've switched just in the last 20 to 30 years, we've switched from modernity to post-modernity. We've mm. switched from, from this idea that, you know, we can do it without God to now we're in a culture that's very spiritual. Yeah. People love the idea of God. Yeah. People love the idea of faith. I have no problem talking to people about faith, yep. spirituality. Uh, whereas maybe 20 years ago, it was it was starting to feel like the culture was edging more towards, um, towards like, uh, more atheism and things mm. like that. But now it, people are all about, but people love the idea of faith. Mm-hmm. They don't love the idea of faith in a single God yeah. who can save alone. Right. We don't, they don't like the idea of the exclusivity, yeah. Yeah, exclusive. And so I have to take that into account. So in Ashland, and here's why I want to talk a little bit about the story and kind of what, what you guys do. Cause, um, Ashland's a totally different deal. Yeah. And, uh, and you guys are having to think about this probably to a level that I don't even have to mm-hmm. up, up in Grants Pass. So what have, what have been some of the nuances? What does this look like to be contextually relevant in the way that you present the gospel? Uh, as a church planter, you're an evangelist first, right? Uh-huh. That's what a church planter is. So as you're walking the streets of Ashland, as people are walking through your doors, as you're thinking about uh, how you present yourself as a church, how you preach on Sunday, what are some of the things that you're up against, some of the things that you're dealing with that you're having to contextualize on yeah. a daily basis? Um, before I even planted, contextualization was one of like the main things going through my mind is how do I plant a church in Ashland that's going to be a church that reaches people in Ashland? Mm-hmm. And and one of the first things was understanding that in, in Ashland in general, if people have had an experience in a Christian denomination, most of them were bad experiences. Yeah. And so um, from the get-go, if, if you hear this church, you know, Christian Fellowship, this church, Baptist, this, this, just that alone is going to prevent somebody from coming in through your door. Yeah. So even planting the church, naming it the story, yeah. we have people walk in all the time that go, what is this place? You know, is it a yeah. coffee shop? You know, right. is it a shopping mall? Is it ch-? like, and that was very intentional because we realized that to even just brand, this is Christian or whatever, you know, um, for in, in Ashland is something that would just detract people from, even wanting to come because they already have these preconceived ideas that Christian is bad and you guys are all judgmental. And, you know, so that was from the beginning, just like, we want this to be a, uh, even in the branding and name, like a kind of a space that people don't know what it is. And even on our, on our front doors, we have this thing that just says, what's your story. That's literally all it says. So as people are going by and they're like, huh, that that it opens the door for conversation, you know? Mm -hmm. And so as people come in, what's the story then I get to say, well, like, what's your story? And get to sit down and have a conversation and hear where they're at. And we've had some, like, legit, like, divine appointments even through that. Like, people just walking in, coming and getting to have conversations and seeing people get saved, which has been really cool. Mm. So that was one huge part. The second was realizing uh, we have almost a million tourists a year coming through Ashland because of Shakespeare, obviously. Um, Shakespeare is huge, and it's it's awesome. And uh, Ashland is a very creative culture. And uh, people come there to 
to sit and watch some of the greatest stories unfold there on the stage. And so even the name of the story as well was just connecting to the city. It's a city where people come to pay money to go and watch stories. And so we said, can't we tell a better story in the church? You know, like mm-hmm. let's connect with what our culture is already about in Ashland, sharing stories and say, we have a better story, you know, the story of the gospel. And so um, that is kind of some practical examples of contextualization, even being in such a creative space like Ashland, yeah. we do place a high value in the church on creativity and the arts. Um, uh, our, our music is a lot more, um, I guess what people would say, um, some would say like high production value and some people, you know, that's not their taste and they don't like it because it feels overproduced or feels like too much of a show. But we realize in Ashland, that's something people are drawn to, you know, they, um, they love the creativity and they love art and stuff like that. And so that's something that we've kind of embraced and tried to find people within the church who have these creative gifts Mm -hmm. that we can say, Hey, like, you know, why does the culture outside the church in Ashland have to have like all the best people. Why do they have all the best creativity? Why can't we bring right. that into the church? And so even getting to co-host a couple of conferences with a local organization, um, uh, yeah. Christian Masterpiece Fine Arts Foundation, yeah. hosting creative conferences for young adults, stuff like that, where um, we've seen even at that, like the first one we hosted, this guy came who had never been to church in his life, but he saw we were hosting like this conference for artists and creatives and musicians and filmmakers. And um, he got to hear the gospel and he started mm. thinking like, whoa, like I didn't know that, you could do this in church, you know? And so what we're trying to do is just kind of break down some of those stereotypes that people have that Christianity is just kind of this, you know, old, dead, boring feel and just like completely irrelevant. So um, even in when it was four months into the church plan, it was a huge blessing. We were donated this church building and uh, it was actually a really uh, powerful picture. This church had been there 119 years and um, I think it's the oldest church building in the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we church planted, we were first in the community center. We were storing our trailer in their parking lot because we we're setting up and tearing down every week. And week after week, I was kind of meeting the people there, which it was called the Christian Church of Ashland, mm-hmm. and uh, getting to build relationships and stuff like that. And I found out that um, they were down to about 15 or 20 people. They didn't even have a pastor. They would they would gather together, watch some sermon on YouTube, sing some hymns from YouTube, and that was it and leave. And that for me was a picture of a a church that had died because they'd failed to contextualize. You know, if you're going to invite your next door neighbor, um, right across the street from the church to come and sit and sing some hymns from YouTube, you know, like that, that's not going to connect, you know? And so we have to realize that, Hey, even worship has changed. Not that it's bad to sing hymns or they're bad. I think they're really beautiful and theologically rich, but if you're trying to reach people in Ashland, that's like that's not <laughs> that's not gonna want that's not something right. they want to be a part of you know and so it was yeah. cool getting to move in and kind of renovate the whole space and make it a space that um, feels comfortable and warming and and welcoming to be in you know it had the classic orange carpet everywhere and red yeah. pews and all of that <laughs> and it even had that old church smell if you know what I'm talking I about know exactly old church what you're talking yeah about. old church had a particular smell and it was like honestly if I lived in Ashland even as a Christian. I wouldn't want to go there. Like that's just the reality. It had, mm-hmm. it had failed to con, uh, contextualize and adapt over time to just be even a space that feels warm yeah. and welcoming and inviting, you know? And so those are some examples of just kind of like things that we've done to try mm-hmm. and make it a space where people in the community, um, the, the stereotypes they have about church and Christianity and all of that are kind of broken down from the moment that you come in. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
then, then we get the opportunity as they come in the doors to share the gospel, you know, right. not watered down. And so it's been really cool. So cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. You know, and I think there is, you know, just to be fair, um, and I know you would agree with this, like there are churches that are more traditional yeah. that are going to reach people that maybe grew up in the church or maybe have some, yeah. um, you know, some people love the idea of more structured kind of liturgical, you yeah. know, uh, you and I probably are more rock and roll side of things where we're like, Hey, let's let it be messy and crazy. And, yeah. uh, but not everybody's like that. You know, mm. so I appreciate the diversity of the body, but I think what's cool is like, like you and I sat in a room full of pastors yesterday and I was just looking around the room and I'm just like, all these guys are so different Yeah, and none of the, none of us are going to reach the same people. No. And that's what's been fun about coming to Grants Pass. I'm like, we've reached a totally different group of people than the churches here we're reaching, not because yeah. we're doing better or because we're, it's just because we're, we're doing different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think maybe an example of contextualization for Philippi, similar by the way on the name. So we mm. named our church Philippi, which people are like, what the heck is that? First of all, they don't even know how to pronounce it, which is funny. They're like, yeah, Philippi, like, Philippi? Philippi? what is that? Whoa. You know? And I'm like, uh, um, but you know, if we had <laughs> named it, you know, if we had named it, um, uh, you know, the Baptist church of grants pass, uh, <laughs> people would, they would have all these connotations, all these yeah. baggage. There's, there's, there's anything wrong with that. There actually is a church here called that. Um, but for us, we're like, we'd like a fresh kind of clean start with people. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the things that we do, I think that's contextual is I think, uh, we've recognized and tapped into this thing that, um, the, the millennial generation and Gen Z in particular, uh, they're tired of sitting and watching. Yeah. They want to, they want to talk. Yeah. Uh, earlier I referenced this therapeutic generation. Mm-hmm. Like people want to talk and they yeah. want to be heard and they should, and church should be talking and, and sh- church should be a chance to interact. So we create spaces where on Sunday morning we break into circles and we have conversations. So cool. And, um, and really that's contextualization. What it is, is it's recognizing that, um, there's a generation now that is tired of sort of the sit and listen approach to church just monologue yeah just come sit listen leave like they want to interact they want to go deep they want to be heard they want to talk they want to listen and so we're creating a space and it was funny when i first started doing that people were like you can't do that people are going to feel weird by that they just uncomfortable uncomfortable. yeah it's been completely the opposite and and ironically it's been completely opposite with the younger generation wow the younger people that are coming to philippi are largely coming because of our circles wow they're like i love the circle thing it's great you know they're like sam's teaching is kind of yeah they're not coming for that um (laughs) Whereas the baby boomer generation, they're kind of like, I don't know. Like I'm just used to coming and listen to sermons. Yeah. And so it's just, it's just, but I think it's a picture of contextualization in that, like it's the same gospel, Yeah. but it's, it's, it's realizing there's such a diversity of people out there Yeah. and every church and every person, uh, you know, everybody listening to this has a uniqueness to them. Yeah. Um, and a unique group of people that you can reach. Mm. Um, you know, I think about like my brother and my brother's like into knife making and he's got a big beard and tattoos. Oh, and his knives are the best and, by the way, dude. And he reaches dudes that I would never connect with. Yep. Just guys and I'm like, dude, that's so cool that you have an in with that guy. You yeah. Know? Um, and, and it's just that way with everybody. And I mm. love that about the diversity of the, of the body of Christ. Um, you can see that with churches, you can see that with individuals. That everybody has these inroads mm. with particular people. And it's our job to not change the gospel, but again, to bring it in a contextual way yeah. uh, and, to, and to connect with people. I want to read a quote really quick from Tim Keller again. Uh, this is just so good. He said, so some sermons are like a bridge to nowhere. They're grounded in solid study of the biblical text, but they never come down to earth on the other side. That is, they fail to connect the biblical truth to people's hearts uh, and the issues of their lives. Other sermons are like bridges from nowhere. They reflect <laughs> on contemporary issues, but the insights they bring 
uh, to bear on modern problems and felt needs don't actually arise out of the biblical text. Proper contextualization is the act of bringing sound biblical doctrine all the way over the bridge by uh, re-expressing it in terms that con- uh, that might type fonts too small terms coherent to a particular culture Mm. so i love that imagery like if if you're just preaching sermons or communicating the gospel um and it's biblical but you're not actually bringing it into contextual terms it's a bridge to nowhere yeah that's good but if you're just bringing up cultural things like let's talk about whatever the issue is you know critical race theory or let's talk about covid or let's and you're bringing up these these hot button issues but you're not using the gospel as your your stand uh as the the firm foundation of it yeah it's a bridge from nowhere there's yeah. no there. Yeah. I just thought that was a really good kind of profound. And then one other quote by David Helm, I thought was cool. He said, contextualization is a good dance partner, but she should never be allowed to lead. Put her before exegetical steps in your sequence of preparation and problems will quickly emerge. Wow. So I thought that was really great. Like your starting point is always gospel truth. Yep. It's always what does the Bible say? Yeah. Our job is not to update the scriptures. Mm. Our job is to update the language and maybe the analogies and maybe the way that we consider it or what we think about in terms of what people are asking, but we don't change the message. Yeah. And I love that picture of like a dance partner. Like it, it needs to fit around what the Bible says. Yeah. And I see so many pastors right now that are just ashamed of the gospel mm. and they're softening it and they're changing it because they, they're afraid that they're going to lose their listenership or they're going to, you know, that people are going to be offended by them. And I'm like, get used to it. The gospel mm-hmm. is offensive. Yeah. I'm not worried about offending people. I am worried about them not getting it. Uh-huh. And if I say it and they don't get it, then I've failed. Yeah. If I say it and they're offended, well, that's going to happen. But it's different. Yeah. And Jesus said, woe are you when everyone speaks well of you, you know? Right. So if you're going to the ministry because you want to preach a message that everybody likes, you're in the wrong business, you know? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe totally. Start, start a podcast or do something else. Yeah. One, one other thing, too, with contextualization that's just been so cool to see, like, the fruit of um, at the story in particular is like you said, like trying to get people out of the basic mold of I come, I sit, I listen, and mm-hmm. that's it. Like it's cool hearing what you're doing with the small groups. One thing that we've done from day one is every single week, somebody comes up and shares their story. They have yeah. like a 10 minute slot of time. And that's been so cool. Cause like you said, people, people want to be involved on some level. And so every week having somebody come up and share their story um, has also helped break down all like these um, perceived ideas people have about Christianity that in order to come to church, I have to be this perfect person. I have to have it all together. You know, at this point in time, um, people have shared literally everything you could imagine, you know, people getting up and being like, yeah, like I had an affair and cheated on my spouse. Yeah. I'm struggling with, you know, same sex attraction. Yeah. I'm looking at like all that stuff. And for people coming in who aren't Christians to hear somebody who's trying to follow Jesus openly share that, like I'm a broken human being and like, I'm still wrestling with these things has been so cool to see just kind of people's hearts being softened to Mm -hmm. realize that to be a Christian isn't like, Oh yeah. Like I'm a good person and that's why I go to church. It's like, no, I'm a broken person with a broken story, but Jesus has made a way for my story to be intertwined with his so that I can be forgiven and, um, you know, have access to the father and all that stuff. And so that's been honestly my favorite part Mm. of the journey so far is just every week people getting up, sharing their stories and, um, being heard and being known. And it's just created an environment where people feel like they can actually come and open up, which has Mm. been a problem in the church for so long is I feel like when you come to church, Hey, how you doing, bro? Good. 
okay, really? You know, I'm not doing good. I'm wrestling with a lot of stuff, but people have not felt safe to share those things in church. And that should be the safest place where I can come and be like, yo, like this is what I'm dealing with. I need some prayer. I need some help. And so that's just been really cool. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Cause there really is this, there's this allusion to the unchurched or to the lost when they come in and they sit and they go, yeah, these people are you know, either they're fake or they're all together and I'm just, I'm just jacked up. Yeah. But then they get up, they'd see somebody get up there and go, Hey, here's what my life looked like before Christ. And here's what I still struggle with. Yeah. And that's contextualization. I mean, that's, that's bringing the gospel in a relevant way. That's going to connect with somebody. Yeah. Let me bring this down, uh, into like the practice here. Um, so again, this, this is not a podcast for pastors. This is a podcast, uh, for really for our churches um, and the people in our churches. So what advice would you give sort of just the people that are working, working in the, the workplace, in the secular environments or trying to bring the gospel to light in their families, to yep. their moms or unsaved uncles or to friends that they have, what advice would you give to them in becoming a, a contextual student, becoming somebody that can speak the gospel in a relevant way uh, in the language of culture? What, yeah, give, give, give some, coach them up with some tips, with yeah. some things that you would do. Before I give, I think what I would say my main tip is I want to let you know that it is so freeing where we're at in culture today, how easy it is to share the gospel. A lot of people feel like mm. they can't do it and there's a lot of pressure because we're looking at all these old models, you know? Yeah. Um, you, you think of like the 50s and the 60s. It was the main way the gospel was contextualized then. It was like these huge, massive tent revivals. Right. And that's because at that time, most people are, had some sort of moral compass or moral foundation that they believed, but they'd kind of strayed from it. And so- it was just like, hey, like, invite my friend to, like, this huge tent thing, and then here comes yeah. Billy Graham, and thousands of people got saved. Well, throw up a tent in downtown Grants Pass and try to do a big tent route. That's not going to work, right? right? Then culture shifted kind of in the 70s and 80s. People didn't need, like, a moment of conviction because people's morals had changed, the sexual revolution, all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. In, in that time frame, kind of 70s, 80s, what people were looking for um, was, a, like, like proof that the the gospel was real. They needed some sort of evidence to believe it. And this is when like, you know, Lee Strobel came out with the case for Christ. Apologetics got really big because people wanted to know, can you prove to me absolutely that this is true? And that's when kind of gospel tracks became popular. You know, people would go out on the streets and that was contextualization. Was people want the facts. Let's yeah. make this little track and go hand it to people. And God used it in an amazing way. Like you would give a person a piece of paper that showed like some evidence and truth that support the scripture and like people were getting saved. Well, today, again, not that you can't do that or that God won't use it, but it's not going to be as effective. Mm -hmm. Sharing the gospel isn't now as simple as going, standing on a corner, handing out some tracks to people or being the dude with a megaphone, that type of stuff. And those are the kind of main paradigms and pictures that people have. You think that to share the gospel means I kind of got to go out on the street and like meet some stranger and know how to, you know, explain and prove to them truth. People today don't even believe truth is a thing. We're not only living in a postmodern culture, we're living in post-truth. So you could prove factually how the the, the scripture is accurate and go into all the manuscripts, but people don't care about that because we're we're in a post-truth culture. So today, this is the importance (laughs) of contextualization. If we don't, if we don't understand where our culture's at today, then we're going to be preaching to people who are, have no um, no desire to listen in that manner. So yep. as you asked, what does it look like today to contextualize? How, how do we share the gospel? I said it up front, like, it's actually so much more freeing today. You don't got to be that awkward, preachy guy standing on a corner. The one thing that I tell people that our culture needs today, and this is what I've seen work in the most effective way in Ashland, 
I think the best way to contextualize wherever you're at today, where people are at, we're in post-Christian, we're in post-truth, post-modern, what people need today that I think is one of the most effective ways of contextualizing the gospel is just genuine friendship. Yeah. And what I mean by that is you got that dude living next door for you from you. You know, you got that guy at your work and you, you look at them and you're like, there's no way these people would ever come to, to Jesus, right? You're like their, their lifestyle and the things that they believe and uh, their hatred already towards Christians because they see Christians as so judgmental. Um, the, the most like important inroad I think in our culture today is just building genuine friendship. Yeah. It's not going in there with some facts and evidence and trying to convince them that the Bible is real. It's just genuinely loving that person enough to build a relationship with them. And over time you start to gain this relational equity. You're genuinely getting to know them for who they are. You're hearing their story. You're hearing of their brokenness. Over time, they're going to become more vulnerable. They start yeah. to open up. And guess what? When somebody feels like you actually care about them, over time, they're going to want to care about you. They're going to want to hear your story. And then you have this, and it's so easy. It's it's not this weird pressure. Oh, it's like, man, I'm just telling you like what's happened in my life. Yeah. And you get to share how you were in a similar spot or the same <laughs> spot and how you wrestled with those same things and you struggle with those same concepts. But how, how Jesus has changed your life, yeah. how his story has transformed your story. And I think there's so much power in that. And so if I could encourage the listener, you know, not, not just a pastor, but the dude working at the minute market, the dude working at the gas station, the dude working at the coffee shop, the woman who's a stay at home mom, whoever it is, we can all share the gospel in our culture today in the simplest way. It's just as God brings people into your life, just build friendship with them. Just love them where they're at. Don't put pressure on yourself to think you have to have all your theology down and know what scriptures right. to point to. People don't even care about that because they don't even believe the scriptures authoritative. But if you just get to know them for who they are and build a friendship with the person, God will use that over time mm -hmm. to create open doors for you to be able to share your story and to share the gospel in a relational way. I've seen that the most effective. I've seen people in Ashland who you would never think would you know step through a church and who, who honestly... I thought that these people are never going to come to church, but after year after year, just building relationships, building friendship, they know where I'm at. They know I'm a pastor. They know I have a church. Some of them, it's taken two and three years before they set foot in the doors of the church and they're still not Christians, but it's a cool step seeing like these yeah. people who were so turned off by church because of just these old methods that we've tried to put in our context today and how it's pushed people away. It's been cool seeing God use friendship to bring people one step closer to him. So that's yeah. what I would say is probably the most yeah. effective way that's of good. contextualizing in our culture today. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, it's funny because like you said, the, the sort of the average um, expectation when people think about evangelism is, yeah, go hit the streets, yeah, find a stranger, give them a spiel, yeah. and, uh, you know, engage them in some kind of an apologetic argument, um, and then they're going to pray a prayer. I'm like, that's probably the worst way. I'm not saying you can't <laughs> do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but it's probably the worst way because you have zero relational equity with that person. Yeah. And we don't trust people anymore, mm. right? Like we're all untrusting of people. Mm. We're untrusting of institutions. We're untrusting of authority. And there's a lot of, we use the word authority a lot when we talk about scripture. Yep. And, and, um, and so, yeah, if you don't have a relationship built with that person, there's no trust equity there. Mm. Um, the other thing I'd say too, just to, to piggyback on that is, the gospel really is the answer yeah. that they are looking for. Mm. And when you come into a conversation with that understanding and that confidence, the gospel will come up. 
Because it's not just about being their buddy, right? Yeah. And like, oh, I really like Zav, so I'm going to go to, like, no, like, you build relationship, and in relationship, conversation happens. And in conversation, problems come up. Yeah. Problems about the world. Problems mm. about their life. Brokenness. Sin is everywhere. Mm. We live in a shattered, twisted, contorted, broken world. And the gospel is really the only sufficient answer. Yeah. One of the things that I use a lot as an inroad to share the gospel is the brokenness of the world because everybody yep. knows it. Everybody agrees, especially in a post-COVID world, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, or maybe we're not even post. We're still in it. <laughs> you want to talk about <laughs> Depends on where you right? live. We're still in it in Ashland. You're not in it in, in Grants Pass. Pass. It's gone, yeah, apparently. Yeah. Um, no, you know, it, people are down to talk about brokenness. And I always just like to ask good questions like, hey, what do you think would actually fix the world? Hmm. Do you think, do you think like policies can fix what well, we'll know? Do you think like a certain kind of government could fix what we'll know? Like, mm. well, what do you think can really fix the world? And that, and that's a, that's a contextual conversation that can lead you to the problem of sin. Yeah. That the, the problem of, of the world's brokenness is endemic. It's, it's actually at the very fundamental core of our existence Yeah. and it needs to be renovated from the inside out. And that's, mm. and that gets you to Jesus. You know, I would just say a couple things, um, practically, first of all, be an exegete of the word and be an exegete of the culture hundred percent and what i mean by exegete is that you are you're a student of it mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean like you watch the simpsons every night or that you you know you watch garb- <laughs> what it means though is that you watch things you tune into things with a different perspective mm-hmm. uh my wife and i were sitting there watching america's got talent the other day and i was like wow this says so much about our culture every yep. other person on there was gay trans or um literally in, in drag mm. and and the judges are praising these people for being such yeah every other contestant and so i'm watching that and i'm going i'm not enjoying this but i'm learning something yeah i'm learning about where our culture's at uh you know jesus said go be fishers of men mm. and that means you're pulling fish out of one kingdom into another the kingdom of the water they swim in and culture is the water that we swim in yeah so like right now we're not in philippi's studio this is a studio that we're just using the hive mm-hmm. you look behind me there's there's cultural things on the walls yeah and those those cultural things tell you a little bit about what people are being influenced by yeah so there's a there's a liberal justice behind me on the walls yeah <laughs> which what she says or, or there's mr rogers or there's walt Disney. i mean disney is a huge shaper of culture oh 100 most of the theology people have was actually given to them by hollywood yeah uh or by some you know some twitter feed so just recognizing what are the things that people are drinking? What are mm. the things that people are taking in? If you're going to bring an alternative and a better truth than, uh, than what the world is giving, you need to know what the world is giving. Yeah. And so becoming a student of culture and then becoming fluent in the gospel so that you can real truth over the top of lies uh, I think is huge. And then I would just say being solid enough in the actual definition of the gospel yeah, that you can contextualize it without losing the message. Cause mm-hmm. I think a lot of Christians actually don't know what the gospel is. Yeah. You know, I, I would be interested to survey all of Christianity and say, define the gospel. I, I guarantee that like, you would get millions <laughs> of different definitions. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Jesus is just nice and he likes people. Yeah. Okay. Is that, is that the gospel? Like you need to be fluent enough in it to really know. And so, yeah, I would, if I could give anybody to advice to become a student of the scripture mm-hmm. so that you can know what the gospel gospel is and then become a student of the culture Mm -hmm. and when those two things come together you become an effective evangelist which is the great commission yeah every believer is called to go make disciples of all nations yeah baptizing them and teaching them to do all that jesus said you know uh that's the great command every christian not just pastors yeah so yeah just some practical things um you know we always beeline to the cross sometimes when we when we share the gospel but in reality there's a lot of facets to the gospel that can lead to the cross Mm -hmm. like 
eschatology, the end of the world. People mm. love to talk about the end of the world. Oh yeah. Uh, let's start there, and then we'll move our way to the cross. You know, I mean, I want to be. I always want to bring people to that crisis point of of hey, you know, it's 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 Jesus's atonement for you, mm. or you're paying for your own sins, but eschatology sometimes especially I just in gotta ask past, you, man, man is covid the end of the world like is this it bro you're asking me that yeah dude is this it yeah i have some people <laughs> i have some people that live out in cape junction that could probably tell you they have like five you know massive uh things full of freeze-dried food the preppers dude that's so awesome so culturally though you know i'm in grants pass and so we have a different you know flavor out here and yeah uh, one of those flavors is we have a lot of people that um are super tuned into political things mm. uh or hyper conservative um we have a lot of people that are uh super liberal live out you know out in the country smoking weed all day yeah. and with dreadlocks and they're all about spirituality and crystals and rocks and new age and, oh that's Ashland and so we sure. get a weird blend of that and then a super like hyper conservative kind of group too and so you know i'm always thinking through that as i'm yeah. walking around grants pass i'm like how do i contextualize the gospel Zav, um, how can one we... One thing you said real oh, yeah, quick, yeah, just, to, just to piggyback on one, yeah. you were talking about even a starting point of just like um, understanding like that the world is broken mm. and everybody knows that. Everybody knows something's wrong with the world, right? And that's such a good starting point because people today say there is no such thing as truth. There is no moral absolutes. You know, it's kind of like you do you, bro. I'll do me. Whatever's good for you. Yep. That's fine. Whatever's good for me. That's fine. Can't yep. we all just like love and coexist and yep. support each other in that? But the reality is, although that's what like most people in culture believe at the end of the day, it's, it, 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 it doesn't hold its ground. Like right. at the end of the day, when you ask people, okay, if that's really the real deal, there is no truth, there is no right, there is no wrong, then that doesn't give an answer to all the insane evil and like chaos right. and injustice all so, around us. The, the world doesn't have an answer for, well, what about all these, you know, mass shootings and murders? What about yeah. the homicide rate and suicide rate? Yeah. What about, you know, hundreds of years of slavery and oppression of women and all this stuff if there is no moral absolutes there is, none of that's wrong it's just like yeah. hey that person was doing them and this person was doing them and that's the beauty of the gospels at the end of the day everybody knows there there is something wrong yeah. although we would say no you know yeah and that's the beauty of the gospel is it came to solve the problem that we all know exists. Yeah. Jesus is the answer the gospel is the answer that yeah. on the cross jesus took all that upon himself right to to ultimately uh, allow us to be forgiven and to one day recreate new heavens and new earth where that's all done away with. And that's what yes. every, everybody's trying to do what Jesus already did. Everybody's trying to f figure out how do I fix the system? How do we make this better? And it's like, like you said, no person, no political party, no program, nobody's going to do that. Jesus already did it. Yeah. And that's why the gospel is so powerful because it truly is the answer to everything that people are looking for. Yeah, and it's logically airtight. It's yeah. logically consistent. And this is what pains me when I see people sort of soften the edges and, mm. and sort of blur, which is not contextualization. They start to go, you know, I just think I want to change the message a little bit. I'm like, you're actually hurting yourself yeah. because the world will see through that. The world's logic is inconsistent. Mm -hmm. The idea that truth is relative is not consistent with reality. Yeah. It's not consistent with the world that we live in. Yeah. Um, I don't care how much you believe you can fly. When you jump off a building, you are going to experience ultimate reality. <laughs> and so the, the, the Christian gospel, the biblical gospel is consistent if you let it say what it says. Yeah. If you start changing it, 
to fit cultural, um, you know, uh, the tenderness of our sensitive, you know, 2021, 22 culture, yeah. you're going to ruin it and mm. it no longer becomes powerful. Yeah. And that's what a lot of these guys that are deconstructing a lot of these guys that are, that are trying to make Christianity more acceptable. They're trying to make it do. politically correct. It no longer saves. Yeah. Paul says that the gospel is powerful to save. Yeah. Right. In Romans, he said it's, it's, it's the gospel that transforms yeah. and has the power to save but not if you change it. Mm. And so, yeah, I think just the advice would be don't change the gospel, but find a way, find a vessel, find a vehicle mm. to get it to people based on the world that we live in. Yeah. So and again, that vessel, I would say just encourage you guys again, just friendship, man. It's such yeah. a beautiful vessel. It's such a beautiful way. Conversation. Yeah. To just, to just love people where they're at yep. and let them see how the gospel has transformed your yep. life. And, uh, people are hungry for that. Like yep. they can see, like I would say, let, let's to challenge the listeners, change that be the first Christian that changes the stereotype of what your friend thinks about Christians Amen. because our culture today Christians are not like these good people anymore like we used to be cultures changed most Christians are viewed by the culture as like whoa like you're evil you're intolerant change the narrative like be a Christian who goes to those people and loves the way that Jesus mm. would that's what I would challenge yeah. the listener amen. in amen yeah amen well we're gonna wrap it there and uh, Zab thanks so much for coming out man. yeah totally super thankful for what you're doing at the story it's fun to be north and south pole with yeah. you yeah uh, reaching, reaching the lost in southern Oregon and excited to see what God has in mind man I think uh yeah, just just cool to see where we're going to be in twenty years when yeah when, uh, yeah when the Lord keeps doing what He's doing. So let me pray for you. Cool. And Father, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for Zav and the way you've put him together and uh, his heart to uh, to bring the gospel to the lost and to make disciples in Ashland. Lord, thank you for the story and continue to do work there. We pray. Thank mm. you for Philippi Church, Lord. We pray you would work, continue to work here as well. Uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity, God, to sit down and talk about these things. I pray for our audience, Lord. I pray for those listening that uh, that they would be in, um, excited and maybe challenged to to become uh, students of the culture for the mm. purpose of the gospel, Lord. And that, like Paul and like Christ, that we would um, be able to transcend into culture, that we be able to incarnate into culture, move into the neighborhood, and become friends uh, of those that are lost and speak their language and mm-hmm. bring the truth that can transform their lives. Lord, we love you and uh, bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Sam, on the way out, bro, the one thing we forgot. Yep. Let's celebrate let's with it. a good little sip here. Oh. <sighs> Thanks for having me on, bro. Yeah.